turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, E.J. Antoni is with the Heritage Foundation and also with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Doesn't that sound nice? Let's unleash prosperity for everyone in America. Unfortunately, unfortunately, for a lot of people, unleashing prosperity looks like giving stuff away. In other words, yes, let's unleash the purse strings, the tax dollars, and give them to people who can't work, won't work, or whatever. And I think all these things were well-intended. The Affordable Care Act... Um, you know, unemployment, all of these well-intended social programs to help people in their times of need. During COVID, people got paychecks for not going to work. But at a certain point, once that toothpaste is out of the tube, how do you put it back in? How do you say to people, eh, you know what? We've got a huge deficit. We've got a national debt that is out of control. And we really need to start cutting back on some of these programs so we, you know, don't lose our country. How do you put those things back in the tube? How do you turn the battleship around, as it were? Well, we're going to talk to E.J. Antoni with the Heritage Foundation and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity about a study that may surprise you about how many people are able to get away with working a handful of months every year and living off the government dole the rest of the year. And what does that mean? That means that if you are working and paying your taxes, you're also paying for these people to not work. That should make you kind of, kind of angry. That should stick in your craw, as they like to say. EJ Antoni will explain it next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. E.J. Antoni is with the Heritage Foundation, also the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, for which this study was done. And E.J., I read over the study... It was it was not an easy read for me because I don't do what you do. But it, give us the general thing that you started to look for with everything that you sifted through and, and then what you found. Sure. Well, Michelle, what, what really prompted the first in this series of studies was back during the pandemic, we had the government paying people not to work. And, and that sounds normal to a certain extent because Unemployment insurance has been with us for a very long time. That's nothing new. But what was new was this idea of paying people a a weekly bonus, if you will, 
to stay home. And so we were paying people an extra $600 a week in the first instance. Now, for some people, what resulted was an unemployment check equal to twice their normal pay. And so you throw on top of that these Obamacare subsidies, which are basically paying people, uh, paying for their health insurance, rather. And what you ended up with was people who had a higher standard of living sitting at home than going to work. So fast forward to today, and those bonuses are gone. We don't we don't have those weekly uh, extra checks going out to people anymore. But in many states, unemployment is so high, not the unemployment rate, but how much you can get in unemployment benefits, that for many people, you can actually have a higher standard of living compared to the median household income. In other words, if, if you were to line up everybody in the country based on income and take the person in the middle, that's the median, making somewhere around $70,000. And in some of these states, your unemployment benefits are going to be even higher than that. And then you compare it to many blue-collar professions, uh, people who are truck drivers, teachers, machinists, etc. And what you find is that you, again, can have a better standard of living on the government dole compared to many of those blue-collar professions. And so we've, we have these work, worker shortages that we hear about, and we're sitting here asking ourselves, where have all the workers gone? And some of this was, yeah, they're staying home. They, they're maybe afraid of this, this. A lot of people are still afraid of COVID and still afraid to go back to work for those reasons. But you articulate something far more. I, I don't, I don't know if the word is sinister, but it's, it is to me when I think about someone deciding I'm not going to go to work because I don't have to because unemployment pays me more. Now, in these states where this occurred, is this unemployment it has to stop at some point, right? You just can't stay unemployed forever. No, that, that's true, Michelle. And, and very typically, uh, these unemployment benefits will only last for six months. But in many states, it is very easy to manipulate that. And what you find is many seasonal workers, for example, people who work certain types of, of construction jobs that can only work during the summer, right? You find in many states, you can work for four or five months and then immediately go on unemployment. And then once your unemployment runs out, you'll need to work a couple of more months and then you can get back on unemployment again. And so the amount of the amount you actually have to work during the course of the year may only be a couple of months and the rest of the year you can receive unemployment. And again, not only do you get that the unemployment, which is just cash, which is also tax advantaged because there are taxes that you actually pay on your earned income that you don't have to pay on your unemployment benefits. But in addition to just getting that lump of cash, you also get these Obamacare subsidies where the government in many instances is either going to give you your health care for free, your health insurance rather, or they're going to heavily subsidize it. And so it's like you're getting a check with benefits as opposed to just getting the check. Gotcha. So your health benefits are covered as well. Sounds like a pretty good gig. If you can work this out and you can make a living working four months out of every year or whatever the case may be, six months out of every year, it seems to me that a lot of people would try to game this system. But you're saying this is in a select group of states. This isn't a nationwide phenomenon. What do these states have in common, if anything, Mm -hmm. that makes... Go ahead. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. It's, it's only a handful of states where you see these these extremely high levels of benefits. Uh, so, for example, Massachusetts, Washington State, 
and New Jersey would be the only places where we see those those six figure levels of benefits. But it is still high in, in several other states. And what tends to be the pattern here is that the blue states tend to have much higher benefits and the red states tend to have tend to have lower benefits. And if you look also at where the job shortages are the worst, it t again tends to be in those blue states that have these more gratuitous benefits and the red states do not seem to be suffering as much of a labor shortage. It 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 kind of I don't know whether to feel angry or because by, by the way, these unemployment benefits, they don't just materialize out of thin air. These are taxpayer funded, correct? That's absolutely correct. And so if you're one of the people who are out there working right now, you are paying not only for your own quality of life, but you're paying for all the people on the dole as well, because all of the money that's being collected in taxes, that's being taken out of your paycheck, again, that's going to pay for these people who are living off of these government benefits. This isn't necessarily a new thing, right? This is this has happened. This has gone on. People have been able to to get away with working the system for many years. I realize this study that you've done is a kind of a snapshot in time, but this is not a new phenomenon. Obviously, Obamacare is relatively new, but in general, this isn't a new phenomenon, is it? No, no, not not at all. But I think what is new, Michelle, is the recent expansion of welfare. And when I say expansion, we're not just talking about the amount of benefits you can receive have been expanded, but also who is eligible has been expanded. So if you if you just take Obamacare for for one instant, uh, in, in that case, you no longer are talking about a program that is helping out the poor and the needy. I mean, in many places, you can make a quarter of a million dollars, even a half a million dollars, and you can still get these health care subsidies. Please explain to me why a family of four earning half a million dollars needs to be subsidized to get their health insurance. I mean, that just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And so programs that were originally sold to the American people as being a hand up for the poor have turned into a hand out for the middle and upper income classes. Another good example uh, is, is food stamps. Food stamps, both in terms of eligibility and the size of the benefit, have been greatly expanded under the Biden administration. And so what's really interesting is, you know, in, in our study, we only looked at uh, these two programs, just unemployment insurance uh, and, and the Obamacare subsidies. But on the other hand, you have a whole host of programs that are what we call means tested, meaning they look at your income. And if you earn a certain amount of money, it's actually pretty small. You don't get any of these benefits. And so there's this tremendous incentive not to earn anything at all, because as soon as you start earning some money, all these benefits get taken away. So look at your typical family of four with no income, no one working. You get food stamps. You get all kinds of subsidies for everything from transportation to education. Uh, you will get rental assistance as just one example. Loudoun County, which is one of the uh, uh, counties around the, the D.C. area, rental assistance there can be over 25000 a year, a year. So you add up all of these benefits, and what you find is this family you know, poor I, with no one working has yeah. about the same standard of living as someone in the middle-income quintile who is working. 
who is working and paying their taxes that pay for these subsidies. It, that, I think that's the part that angers me the most. And I don't know how many people are actually aware of it. Uh, probably <laughs> not enough because I'm not sure people would stand for it if they were a- aware of all of this. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, EJ, I, I want to talk about where we go from here because like I said, this is not a new phenomenon. It is changing. It is growing. It is expanding. And are we ever going to do anything about that? Because last I looked, our national debt looked like a pretty scary number. So we'll get back with EJ Antoni right after this. You know, we're talking about money and earning your money and saving your money and taxes and deficits and debt. And all those numbers sometimes get so astronomical, you don't even want to look at them. But the numbers you do need to look at are your own. How are you spending your money day to day, week to week, month to month? And then how are you saving your money for your your retirement? Because there will come a time where you can't work anymore. You've got to retire and you've got to have that that nest egg ready for you. Well, have you thought about investing in precious metals, gold or silver? Now, if you think about the state of things in the economy today, it kind of reminds you of 2008. And back in 2008, when we had what was a veritable crash, Those who invested in gold saw significant gains and others simply lost their retirements. So now we've been through a rough 2022 and we're hearing 2023 could be even more rough. So why not think about a long-term play and investing in gold or silver or both? And the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver is Legacy Precious Metals. I encourage you to give them a call talk to them, ask them all the questions that I've been asking them. And I continue to ask, how much should I start with? Should I get physical gold? Should I put it in my IRA, my 401k? How do I do this? What does it look like? And why does it work? They will answer all of your questions. So give them a call. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. Or you can just download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, so EJ, th- this kind of thing, this these expanded welfare benefits that, like you said, can be helping a family that's earning a quarter of a million dollars, a family of four and they, they're still getting these, these benefits from the Affordable Care Act, which they ought to be able to afford. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so where do we go from here? Because we hear about government waste. We hear about government fraud. Some of this is completely legal, what these people are doing and how they're gaming the system. It's legal. Mm-hmm. Do we ever find a place or people, a, a place in time or the people willing to do the work to say, this, this is just wrong. Or can once you start doling out benefits, it seems like it's almost impossible to take them, to take them back or take them away or cut them in any way, shape or form. You know, M- Michelle, it's a great question. And it is very, very difficult to ever cut back on these benefits for a couple of reasons. One is the fact that you have a huge messaging problem, because even though many of these programs are demonstrably not helping out the poor, but other groups that we already mentioned, like those in the middle or upper income classes, but you know, these programs are sold and they appear to many people as being a a hand up for the needy. And you really need to combat that narrative in in many instances. The other problem is that there are many programs that benefit 
a majority of people. Uh, education subsidies are a very, very good example of that. And so once you have a program that is so entrenched that it actually helps out more than 50% of the people, it is very, very difficult to scale something like that back because most people on the surface are going to be hurt by that. Now, what no one realizes, though, is that just because you're getting that subsidy doesn't mean you're actually getting a net benefit because you're also paying for everyone else's subsidy, right? If food stamps were given out to yeah. every single person in the country, who's paying for that? Every single person in the country. And so you're not actually any better off. It just uh, The government is just basically making it look like you are. So I think the number one thing we have to do if we're going to scale these things back, if we're going to get not just welfare, but the entire debt and deficit under control, is we have to work on the messaging here. And we need to make it clear to people that the government is not making their lives better just because they say they're doing so. And it seems like every time there's an effort to do that, to say we need look, I remember Paul Ryan, when he was Speaker of the House, very clearly saying, we can see the oncoming train. We can see it. And we still have time to get out of the way so it doesn't kill us all. But let's get out of the way of the oncoming train. Let's do something about it. And the counter message was Paul Ryan wants to throw Granny off a cliff. And so that message always seems to win. The sensible let's stop harming ourselves message that never seems to win the day. It always seems to be he's throwing granny off the cliff it is the message that wins the day. So is it that the, the, the common sense folks just aren't great messengers or, you know, how, how do we message this properly? I realize that's not your, your focus of this study, but do you have any thoughts about how, how this might be done? No, that's, you know, Michelle, it's a really, really great question. I think part of the problem here is that in Washington, D.C., it feels like it is perpetually the conservative B team versus the liberal A team. And what I mean by that is if you're a conservative and you understand uh, not just policy, but you're good with business, right? You typically have your own business. You're either running a company or you're pretty high up in that company. And what happens is those are where the most successful people who are conservative thinkers tend to go. But for the liberals, where are the most successful thinkers there? They're in academia. They're in government. For the conservatives, it seems like it's only the, the, the washouts from business who end up going into government, right? Donald Trump, I think, would be one of the, the rare exceptions to that. And so you have people like Paul Ryan, who not only are not very good on the messaging front, but then when we get down to brass tacks, what happens? He turns around and he helps ram through omnibuses through Congress. And that's a big reason why he's no longer there anymore. But I mean, in terms of, of what we have to do with the messaging, I think the biggest thing is just educating. We need to educate our fellows. We need to educate them so that they can educate others. And, and essentially, that's going to uh, uh, multiply, right? What we need is for people to understand what these programs are, how they work. And at the end of the day, if they have enough knowledge in their head, it, it's not going to matter how good they feel about a positive message because they'll understand what the truth is and they'll understand that these programs are not doing what they allegedly or what they're alleged to be doing. You know, you hear that word education and it, it kind of sounds dry. We got to educate people. And, and I agree with you. I, I would love if we would find a great way to educate people about how this all works, but it never seems to happen. It never seems to work or it seems that there's, there are other distractions 
it, no, don't worry about money and rich people and wealth. Let's worry about social issues. And, you know, and so the education tends to get skewed. And clearly we know that academia is, is trends very leans quite hard to the left. And so in terms of this education, I'm just, I'm just not sure who's willing to do it. Like you said, another $1.7 trillion omnibus bill just got through again before the end of this session of Congress. We continue to spend like we've got all this money that, and, and like we have no national debt or deficit, and, and we have both. And so I don't know how we educate when people don't seem very interested in listening. Well, un- unfortunately, it, it really, I think, is just a product of human nature, right? When, when times are good, people really don't want to listen. And it's only when times get tough that people are willing to stop and wonder, hey, what, what actually got us here? Uh, and, and, and even then, the fight's not over, right? Because then the messaging on the other side is typically, well, the only, thing, the only reason things didn't work out is because we just didn't do enough of our bad policies. Right, right. right. Um, we needed to give more. We needed to spend more. We're not spending enough. Right, right. Had had only if only we had a forty trillion dollar national debt, then things <laughs> then things would have been fine. Not realizing that the national debt might have been what got us here in the first place. Um, but you know, un- unfortunately for for many people, and again, this just seems to be a product of human nature. When times are good, people aren't willing to listen to the to the hard lessons because it's just so much easier to stick your head in the sand. Do you think there are enough smart people, honest question, smart people, attentive people in America <laughs> to to listen and to and by smart I mean wise, I guess, to listen mm. to these things because you can be smart but not very wise. So is there enough wisdom in the American population to listen, to look ahead, to think about future generations and want to do something to sustain those people that they will never meet, but that, you know, might be their grandchildren, their great grandchildren. Didn't they used to call it, you know, planting trees that whose shade you will never sit in, but you know that it's still important to plant that tree. Is there enough of that wisdom in America in your, your humble estimation? That's a, that's a really good question, Michelle. I'm I'm not sure I have a, a good answer for you there, because um, I, I genuinely don't know, and I, I don't want to pretend to know either. Um, I do know, though, that that is why programs like yours are, are so important, because it is through programs like this that we will help educate our fellows and that we can hopefully move the needle in the public policy debate. But I, I will say I do really appreciate your distinction there between the, the wise and, and the allegedly smart, because many of the dumbest ideas I have ever heard, and actually, if you look back in history, many of the worst <laughs> ideas humankind ever implemented came from the, those who were allegedly the smartest among us. Boy, ain't that the truth. I mean, and, and you know, we, we see it in academia. There are some people who believe that all answers come from, are born of academia, the institutions of learning. And um, I kind of beg to differ. <laughs> I've met some really wise people who never spent a day in college and have had made great successes of their life through the school of hard knocks or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it, it is, it, it's, I kind of hope that we're at a tipping point 
that we are in a place where people are seeing through the the guise of academia, are seeing that it costs way too much to attend these universities and colleges. And when you come out, what do you really have to show for it? And what where where do you prove? What's your proving ground to show that you have been made smarter and wiser? You know, book smart, maybe. Wiser, I'm not so sure. So it, it's um it feels like a desperate time to me. But, you know, I think the older we all get, the the less time we have on earth and we're thinking, how do we help? What do we do? How do we change things? How do we fix this? And uh, I, I hope some of the ho- hope some of the younger folks in the world catch up to that way of thinking and think we're running into problems here. Absolutely, and you know, there's there's a uh, a, a saying. It, it goes something like, uh, "Good times uh, create weak men. Weak men create hard times, and hard times create strong men, and strong men create good times." And and then the cycle just repeats itself after that, right? And and it certainly seems like. I mean, if, if you look back at, at history, the way we have it right now, our lives are so just immeasurably better than those who, who went before us. And it, it really seems like a, as a people, yeah. we've we've become rather soft, quite frankly. Uh, and, and we've allowed these these politicians to lead us around by the nose down a, a pretty dark place. And it's going to create a lot of problems, just like it created a financial crisis a little more than 10 years ago. You know, we probably have something very similar. Uh, you know, coming next year or the year after. And so that will create hard times. And, and we can only hope that those hard times will create, uh, you know, a, a, a wiser and better group of people after us who will help turn this big old battleship around. I love that phrase that you that you just mentioned that saying about hard times and good times and easy and strong. And, and I think you're, you're right. And, and phrases like that don't don't die because they're so universally true. So maybe we are headed toward that tough time that that helps create some some smart and tough people. EJ Antoni, you can find him at the Heritage Foundation. You can find him at the, this this study that was uh, commissioned by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Boy, doesn't that sound good? Let's unleash prosperity for everyone, for everyone. And uh, that is probably going to mean some cuts to some of these lovely benefits that people have gotten used to, but maybe not. We'll see. EJ, keep up the work. Uh, We'd love to have you back. It's really important stuff that you're doing. Michelle, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. He's EJ Antoni. Again, you can find him at the Heritage Foundation. And this is Sideline Sanity. As always, be brave and do good. Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why a precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone. You know, a great question. And I think the, the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there, whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much a paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account, we have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run. <laughs> you mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed? It ain't going to happen.
<laughs> it ain't going to happen. You know, the, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, so if, if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I, this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person? I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest. But once you take that first step, the second step is easier. And then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step. I always tell people they can call and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the, the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide. What, what is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors? The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question. And that comes from everyone. So, so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just about any portfolio, isn't it? It is. We, even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay. But we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't, but we're all in it together, right? So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person, but we all have that same need. It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to, to, to just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is in any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life. It always seems like that first hurdle is, is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who, who are they going to talk to? Who, what, what's going to be on the other end of the line for them? Great question. You're going to speak with one of our customer representatives and their job is not to sell you metals, right? We have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy. And that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller. And we're going to show you what options you have. And then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do. And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with. And I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call, even easier. Go check out their, their guide. It's a free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. But as you said, Charles, pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get get the ball rolling, get, get started, do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here.